0: You are now listening to The Secret Life of a Grad Student. I'm Megan. I'm Law and we are two grad students who want to share the untold stories of graduate students' past and present. We wanted to do a panel discussion on life balance with our series interviewees, kind of like we always do. However, because of all this COVID-19 virus business, we weren't able to coordinate that. Instead, we're bringing you a bonus interview with a grad student from England who has a really cool outside hobby outside of grad school, and we're going to share that interview with you right now. So here it is, the bonus episode on life balance. So... I would like to start this bonus episode with an introduction. So Marina, can you just introduce yourself really quickly, state who you are, where you are in grad school? Well, I know that you're currently in grad school, so just state who you are, that you are a current grad student, and kind of where along the timeline you are in grad school, and where you are currently going to grad school.
1: Yep. So my name is Marina Garasic. Uh, I am a PhD student in neuroscience. I'm currently in my in my third year of three and a half. So I'm based in the UK in Manchester. So we have our kind of time limited, shorter PhDs. So I'm in my third year, kind of ploughing away with data collection.
0: Okay. So I want to just start off the interview by getting some background um, on who you are. As an individual and how you got into science So my first question is how how did you initially become interested in science were there any sort of early influences in your early childhood in school from your parents or maybe even later how did your science story start
1: well i was i was always good at science but i uh, didn't always enjoy it so when i was like when i was in school when i was you know i remember in when i was 10 years old i got like a prize for best in science and i'm like oh that's hilarious because i don't enjoy it i find it easy but don't enjoy it <laughs> My and uh then when i got when, when i went to what you guys call high school uh, i started doing science that was i felt actually challenged me
0: hey, marina. and that was um marina yep.
1: question what what didn't you enjoy about science i, I think because we were it was often quote-unquote experiments uh that were very predictable. And then you have to write a lot about it. So for example, we did, I distinctly remember a physics experiment, which was, would a scrunched up ball of paper or a non-scrunched up ball of paper hit the ground first? So, you know, we we do this whole thing and then we have to write like two pages on methods. Like I will hold the ball of paper in my, the scrunched up one in my left hand and the non-scrunched up one in my right hand. And then I will drop them at the same time. And I just thought this was the most uninspiring way to bring science to children. <laughs> so I never, ever, ever do scrunched-up ball paper things whenever I'm teaching science.
0: <laughs> gotcha. So uh back to high school.
1: Yeah. So I felt it was nice to do things that challenge me. well we'll say, okay, what would happen? We here's an experiment. What will happen in it? And we genuinely don't know. And then I'm like, ah, now this this feels like a good exercise of in my intellect and a good uh, use of my time to write about. Um, so yeah, so I got more and more into it, um, and then it was just biology, kind of. I just I just found it so interesting because it explains things that you encounter all the time, and often you never stop to think why is it that that happens, or chemistry even. You're like, why why does that happen? And then science explains it. You're like, oh, it's so cool. The world makes a bit more sense to me now. <laughs> so, you
0: became interested in science in high school. Did you know when you started? college
1: that you were going to be doing science so is college the same as university university yes 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 just (laughs) um yes so I it was actually really funny I always tell the story when I'm sorry because I I tutor so I deal with a lot of students on their science journey and I always tell the story that I had no idea I wanted to be a scientist until I kind of became one because I distinctly remember filling in a questionnaire in how old would I have been I would have been Fifteen, and it was in our physics class and it was you know strongly agree, disagree strongly agree that kind of scale question and it was all about science and math There was <laughs> one question saying you know i want to do science and math as a career and i put disagree <laughs> like, i will take science and math beyond you know this year of study and i put strongly disagree which <laughs> was hilarious because a couple of years later i was picking my options for what we have is our, the final two years you do before college. Right. You you specialize and you do only four subjects. And I chose biology, chemistry, math, psychology. By that point, I was like, actually, I really like these subjects. They go well together. So then when it came to picking a degree, I didn't even know what I was going to do until I was writing my kind of entry statement um, where I started writing it for biochemistry and went, hmm. no and I started writing it for biology and I'm like oh this is way more interesting so yeah and then when I started when you when you start your degree here you already know what you're doing so I already knew that it was going to be biology we don't have like majors or minors or anything like that in the UK so yeah I started out on biology and kind of kept it kept it that broad Uh, yeah
0: gotcha um when you graduated university did yep. you know immediately that you were going to go to grad school, or did you plan to take some time off?
1: Um. Yeah. So that's a uh, yeah. That was a really good question. So I, in the in the summer break of my um, second year of uni, I um, worked in a lab, and it made me realize that lab work was what I wanted to do. And they encouraged me to apply for a masters, and they gave me a really great reference for it. Um, and I got onto a masters. So I did a one year masters after my bachelor's Mm -hmm. and that was straight after so i went i i moved city and i went and i started that straight away um the the reason being was um this master's was a master's by research which is kind of rare here i don't know what it's like um where you are but uh is it is it a common thing or is it
0: uh well uh, phds for us are very very different in that um when i started my phd i didn't have a masters. So we basically have yeah. joint programs and then there are separate master's degrees that you can also do. And some of them mm-hmm. are research based and some of them are, are research lab focused. And some of them are just mm-hmm. like written research focused.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this one was, this was just a one year masters and it was um. you could do two research projects, two research projects, one of the, and they could, they could be completely different. And I was at the stage where I didn't know if I wanted to do a PhD, and I certainly had no idea what field I wanted to do it in. So I thought, right, I'll I'll do this masters. I'll try and do completely different labs, try and test out if I want to do a PhD. And then once I've completed that, I'll then take, I'll then look into doing, into applying for PhDs if I want to. So I did that and decided, yes, I really enjoy lab work. I really enjoy. What
0: what did you What did you enjoy about lab work?
1: Um, I really enjoyed the kind of autonomy where, where where it's like, this is your project. This is your baby. Yeah. Look after it. Go. All yours. And then I got to pick. I'm like, oh, I, th- I think it would be really cool if we did this. And then I got to go and do that. Like, here's the stuff. Go do. <laughs> and just like the mixture of expertise as well. I really loved how everyone had something to share. Everyone had something to teach. It, it wasn't long before I was teaching people, technically more senior than me, because I was the expert in this technique so I I like the sort of melding and mixing of the skills yeah so that kind of sold it for me and then I was like yes I will apply for a PhD but obviously by that point I finished the master's and I was applying for the year after the year I was in if that makes sense had a year out um and I tutored full-time that year uh and did some traveling at the end of it I crammed my year's worth of travel in one summer (laughs) (laughs) oh that's great yeah so so yeah. It Where wasn't did you as go? much of a I mean, like,
0: like this episode is about life balance, so we can sort yeah. of pivot a little bit. Where did you end up
1: traveling? Um, so I did like lots of little trips uh-huh. and then ended on a big trip. So I did a lot of uh cities in Europe I wanted to see. I, I went to Paris, which I have um, never been to. I've been to france well no, I've been to Paris once on a school trip, but school trips don't count. No, they don't. <laughs> like you don't, they don't take you in the catacombs on school trips. <laughs> um so yeah, at Paris, um, I took my sister, who's seven years younger than me, on a surprise trip to Italy, Sardinia. That's so sweet. Um, yeah, she thought she was going to Manchester. Uh, <laughs> my <wife laughs> until the day before, I was like, oh, don't forget to pack your swimsuit. She's like, where are we going? And I'm like, we're going to Italy. Um, <laughs> that was really good. I saw friends in Portugal. I went to Spain. And uh, then I did two and a half weeks in Australia. I did like a road trip. Oh, wow. Around Australia, um, oh my with my yeah, it was it was really fun. The two and a half weeks in this oh horrendous bright green and purple van that everyone who lives in Australia knows and hates, <laughs> and we <laughs> lived in it for two and a half weeks with pride. And oh yeah, it was it was amazing. Like it was it was really nice. um I definitely came back kind of rearing to go for my PhD. Like I felt like I had enjoyed my year out. I'd you know, earned a lot of money and then spent it all on holiday and that's exactly what I wanted to do.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That that just sounds so refreshing uh, to do right before a PhD. Um, Yeah, that's awesome. Okay, so you you already know because we've talked about it, we're doing this series on life balance. Mm -hmm. We're talking to a number of uh, people about how they cope with their own life balance, people of all different career stages. and wanted to talk to you because you have a really cool hobby and we'll get into that in a second, but I kind of want to establish some of the background first. So I'm going to ask you some questions about your grad lab. Uh, So the first question is, uh, can you tell me about some of the work culture in your graduate lab? So in your PhD lab, what kind of environment is it? Is it like a very stressful environment where there's constant work going on? Uh, where it's really, really relaxed and chill, or is it kind of a mix of the two? Mm -hmm. And is this a culture that's driven by your lab mates or
1: your PhD advisor? Yes, that's a really good question, because I think this is something that people, when they start off PhD, don't realize varies so much. So like different labs are so different. Um, And my lab is, well, the quite big-ish one at the moment. We have about um, 20 people in our lab and then if you combine our sister lab it's another 10 people and i say in general it leans more towards work in fact it definitely leans more towards work um there's like there's there's you know people obviously people are quite you know intelligent so, so people appreciate the the need for balance however i think a lot of people kind of just love work a bit too much sometimes and um in my lab there's always there's almost always someone staying later than you right and that's the kind of culture you get like you can feel like you've done a super productive long-term day like oh I I stayed till seven I got that extra thing done get me and there's someone still sitting there later than you and there'll be one time where everyone goes and you're like oh my god I I did it I was the last person (laughs) and
0: and Um, it's a point
1: of pride to be the last person sometimes you're just like oh thank god I'm not it's not an inhuman achievement. <laughs> I, can, I can do it. They don't just live here. They do leave. Um, so yes, yeah, so I think it's, it's um, like, it, it's, it's not like a pressure culture, if that makes sense. Like my um, supervisor's not pressuring people to stay late. It, it's inherent from a lot of people. They'll just, I guess that's just how they work. Um, yeah. But that can put unintentional pressure on you. Right. When the person who's been there all day every day you ask them what they did with their weekend and they say oh i wrote this paper right. and you start thinking should i read through all that? and no it's not it's gotta gotta be careful and you know obviously you don't also see everything that someone does but
0: can i just ask a quick yeah. clarifying question yes is it your supervisor who's also working those late hours or is it just uh the general lab culture
1: um the general lab culture typically my supervisor because uh he has children he's gone quite a routine he does stay later than most supervisors he um he's more like a half nine till six kind of person okay um but you do get the feeling though with our so we have like a our building shuts at six the front door shuts at six and then you need to go the long way round if you want to get out after six right. so as a result like a uh, five minutes to six. every you know everyone who wants to make the six o'clock cutoff leaves. <laughs> and i just feel that if we didn't have that people would stay till it it, it trickle on it go half six and seven and if it wasn't for this this cutoff we'd have even more people staying later
0: wow that's fascinating <laughs> uh, yeah
1: <it's> such interesting <laughs> uh,
0: maybe we should implement that at my lab so uh kind of also building out the story What was the Mm -hmm. most stressful experience you encountered so far during your uh, grad school career?
1: That that would definitely be something that happened to me in the summer of last year. That was in my second year. I was fortunate enough to have a paper where I was first author, and I've been working on it since day one. Congratulations. uh, (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thankfully, it's published now, but at the time, it felt a mile away. But yeah, at that stage, we were doing revisions, I was going through um, doing things and I discovered that there had been an error in one of the scripts right at the beginning and all the data was not what we thought it was. It was all wrong. And they just had that moment. Which, oh, my my heart sunk. And I, I started going, okay, right. It could have been a mismeasurement or a problem with this. And I sort of remeasured things and rechecked and like, no, definitely off, definitely substantially. Oh, it was absolutely awful, absolutely awful. And you talk to people, and I remember one of my co-supervisors who was an author on the paper, she was saying, oh, it's okay, don't worry, this, this, this often happens in academia. And she's like, that doesn't <laughs> make me feel better. Like, thank you for trying to say it's not my fault. But also, that really doesn't make me feel better. Wow. So, no, in the end, we managed to, like, recalculate, actually calculate what the stuff we presented was. And obviously our data was far clearer and our conclusions far more robust after we did that. So that was obviously nice. But at the time you don't know, you just think the worst things happen. I've invested so much time in this and it's all wrong, right at the revision stage. And oh, terrible. Oh um, my god!
0: I, so, I just have to imagine that. I mean, I know like I'm already feeling like I can relate to this story so much and I mm-hmm. can imagine our listeners just thinking like, man, like this has happened to me too. Um, Instead, yeah, so
1: mm-hmm.
0: I know you said it doesn't make you feel better, but
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: it might make someone else feel better.
1: No, sure. It's it's just. um I think also the problem, the problem, the difficult thing about academia is because it's such a big part of your life. I think I would argue more so than a job. Mm-hmm. It kind of intertwines with your life. So obviously, at that time that that paper drum was happening, my old flat flooded. So I was dealing with that uh, and I was also ill and all that obviously all culminates. So that was, yeah, that was, that was, that was, that's, it was a stressful time. It's was like, oh, the time the paper happened and then the flood <laughs> happened and then I had to move. Um, oh so uh, yes, yeah, so it's, um, it's not without, it's ups and downs.
0: Wow. Um, well then I, I feel like hopefully my next question will kind of lift this a little bit. So we're talking to you because you have a, very interesting hobby, uh, that you mm-hmm. participate in throughout your PhD. Mm-hmm. So we'll kind of pivot back to the stressful moment in a bit. Um, mm-hmm. but what, can you tell me what your hobby is and how you found it
1: or how did it find you? Yeah. So I do martial arts. We're our own brand of martial arts developed here in Manchester. So it's kind of a mixture of martial arts and self-defense taught in a very sort of relaxed way. And, uh, yeah, I, I am, um, we, we run these women's self-defense courses with the university and way back on my, when I came here for my masters, so before my year out, before I started my PhD, um, when I came to Manchester, I got this flyer, free women's self-defense course. I was like, oh, I really want to do, uh, I really wanted to do some martial arts. Like I really want to give it a try. So I went did the course, for I think it was 10 weeks at the time. Got to the end, uh, had had an absolutely amazing time. I really got to know the people delivering it, and and then they were saying, "Oh, Marina, you should join our regular class." And I'm there going, "Can I? Am I allowed?" Um. So, flashback to now, I am the chair of the society, and I deliver these women's self defence courses now, which I think is just like a, it makes me so happy, like a beautiful kind of circle completion. Just just deliver, you know, delivering the material and seeing the people standing in the same place I was four and a half years ago. Do you um, so
0: uh do you uh like as you're teaching people, do you uh see people that kind of resemble yourself as they're starting?
1: You see people make mistakes. You're like, oh yeah, I did that. <laughs> or just like, you know, basic, like how stand with balance. You're like, God, that's a that's a thing I learned. I didn't realise I didn't walk in this room with that. <laughs> um, so yeah, no, I know I, I do. <laughs> But yeah, it's a a nice, uh, it's a a nice way to kind of like say, round it off. You feel like you have definitely made it somewhere where you're like, ah, the student becomes the master.
0: (laughs) So other than uh, kind of being able to teach people and become the master, what do you think your hobby brings for you? Like, does it bring you any sense of peace or maybe some kind, maybe like a distraction from the lab? And if it does bring you anything, why do you think that is?
1: Um, that's a very good question. <laughs> I had to reflect on this a bit recently. I think one of the, so obviously it's, it's a physical activity, it's sort of exercise and there's an awful lot of things published about how exercise improves your mental health and can help in times of stress. And it, it's very, um, because the exercise involves like your whole body and we often focus on specific techniques, it's very good at focusing your mind. So it's very good at keeping you mindful and just making you lose whatever was stressing you out when you entered the room. Right. So I, I yeah, like I really appreciate that. But then also because it's social, there there's a massive aspect from that as well. Like there's so many people who there's so many different flavours, shall I say, of, of people who train martial arts. So it's not just people studying uni. We've also got, you know, parents, grandparents, who've got people of all different backgrounds and It's hard to kind of sit in your academic bubble when you go into this room with loads of people from different walks of life. I think it really does do well with that kind of distraction.
0: So you mentioned kind of the diversity in the martial arts group. Are people in the group, are they non-scientists? And do you find yourself talking about science when you're with them?
1: So they are majority non-scientists. Yeah. We've got a musician, for example, and we have you know, an, a creative artist and then we have the odd psychologist. In fact, we have overrepresented with psychologists for whatever <laughs> reason. Um, but uh, got like a real mix. And yeah, it's when we usually when we go to the pub that we get an opportunity to chat. And uh sometimes I find myself talking about what I do. What what I do is kind of um very relatable, but so like I study the effect of light on our brains, particularly from digital screens. Mm-hmm. And everyone always has a question about that. (laughs) (laughs) So so we'll talk about that, but then it's just the way I'd talk to, you know, anyone with kind of like a general lay understanding as opposed to, you know, with your supervisor with members in your group where you feel like you don't know anything.
0: Cool. This is awesome. So kind of, we'll sort of pivot back to your stressful story, but also branch out on this question. So when you were experiencing all of this stress from the paper as we're gonna term it um <laughs> did, did your activity with martial arts have any sort of positive impact on that experience and can you reflect on maybe another example of if and when your hobby affected your work positively
1: yes so I think one thing that I like about my martial arts, which helps with things like that, is kind of the structure of our classes. We we do you know, the first hour is very physical and involves punching pads and you know, physically tiring yourself out. And the second half is a bit more focused and technique y. And I have to say it's really good if you're angry. <laughs> it's such a good remedy if you're just I hate the world. <laughs> and which is kind of what happened at that time. I was I was mad at this paper and I was mad that I'd suspected something and everyone was like no it's nothing and then i had to prove it that it was all gone just ruined and it was all catastrophic and i was just so angry and i i stomped to the class and i hugged it out which was helpful at first like i'm really good friends with the instructor and everyone there so it was a big hug and it was and people aren't again in that academic bubble so when someone asks why are you angry you say oh research failed <laughs> <laughs> And you can't get caught in the nitty-gritty of it because you'd have to sit there and explain what papers are and what the process is. But then, then you punch it out and you knock yourself out, and then and then you do focus exercises and then you breathe. And then by the end of it, you've it's, you've done the catharsis and you've done the focus and coming out of it. So I felt a lot better.
0: Yeah, a lot lot better. <laughs> Something kind of struck me in your description of talking to people in the group that don't do science and you just mm-hmm. like kind of shouting like science failed or work failed. Do you mm-hmm. find that other people in the diverse group with diverse backgrounds have the same sort of reflection on their own work?
1: Oh that's a very good question. You know I, I don't think so. Like whenever, I, I think so many times when I talk to people it's more of the attitude of oh this is my job. Whereas PhD is obviously different because it's your job and your study. Great. And it's a commitment. It's a three year plus commitment. So it's not just something you can go, oh, well, it's going difficult. I'll just find a new job. You can't go, oh, it's going difficult. I'll just find a new PhD. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, so I don't think people, I don't think it's as much of people's lives. Or at least I don't reflect on it that much. Having said that though, my um, a friend of mine there is very he's a kind of quite a reflective person and works hard on his career progress so he does and he does take things to heart quite a bit
0: mm-hmm. but
1: usually it's a I feel like it's an academically reserved thing
0: yeah I'm, I'm gonna have to say that I agree with that so do you think that you could just spend like a minute giving me like a really clear description of your martial arts program <laughs> yeah uh um, yeah just like what what is like the day-to-day of Doing martial arts.
1: Yep. So we are. So we're like I said, we're our own brand of martial arts. We're called Smart, stands for Scientific Martial Arts. We're a very small group, and we're quite different to standard martial arts. So we are a mixture of training your core martial arts skills with focus exercises. So this is like your balance or your coordination, sensitivity, etc. And then the other part is focusing on this sort of self defense aspect. what we do kind of physically it's a mixture of wrestling and striking so you learn how your body moves you learn how other people's body moves and the way to best work with that and what i think i really love about smart in particular is it's very individual Mm -hmm. so it works with the way your body moves which is different for obviously for everyone so like for example for me i have knees that point inwards um which makes Standing like with my feet parallel and having balance, are a nigh on impossible thing to do. So I don't do that and I work with the way my body moves and my structure is very intelligent to recognize how that works. So yeah, so we do a mixture of, like I said, this striking and wrestling, and then improving those core elements that you don't even realize you're improving until you go to teach a room full of people and they have no balance. And you're like, oh, that's what all those exercises were for. I had balance. Wow, give me. Cool. Okay,
0: thank you. So just to kind of wrap this up, if you were to advise maybe a colleague or someone else doing a PhD or maybe about to start a PhD as far as life balance, what would you tell them?
1: Um, I would definitely say don't let your PhD take over your life and, and don't let it push out your hobbies. So if you already have a hobby like I did when it went into it, Sometimes you may feel pressured to give it up or to dial it down, but you've got to set that boundary. You've got to set that that importance. So for me, SMART was very, very important to me, and I put that quite high, and I said I was never going to quit and stop going.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And things that I committed to do with it, be that teaching role or my administrative role as chair, that I was going to honour those for the duration I said I would, and not yeah. just because of the PhD. So I would say definitely don't let your PhD push out your hobbies. Definitely take a hobby, like it be. It, I I love physical and social because it ticks so many boxes. But whatever works for you and for your abilities and your time, definitely take a hobby. Something that can just pull you out and and something that you can have success in that's completely independent from your PhD. With a, this slight grain of sort of don't take on too much, right? Like as someone who is the chair and an instructor please don't take too much. it can um yeah it can be very exciting at the time when someone's asking for help and then get a bit overwhelming when all the deadlines happen to be on the same day
0: cool thank you yeah. okay i'm gonna stop the recording thank you so okay. much for all right thank for you with me and doing this um, really appreciate it was a really fun interview i hope yeah, it was fun. thank you Thanks so much for listening to Secret Life of a Graduate Student, thanks to Sam Crow for editing, and thanks of course to our listeners for their continued support. We know this is a challenging time for all you grad students out there, and it's especially challenging to maintain life balance right now, so I guess all I can say is we will get through this, this will pass, and we will, or maybe better and stronger for it. Thank you.